Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Crypto is built by code, but it's composed by people, and each individual member of the crypto community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it, and Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code, because Ethereum is people all the way down, and it always has been. Today on Layer Zero, I'm talking to my friend Julia, and Julia works at Orca Protocol. And I, without expecting it, get what's called, I guess, orca pilled during the show as we talk about things like DAO governance and DAO structure and where DAOs are currently and where they are going to be. Now, I don't know if I'm behind the curve on this conversation or ahead of the curve on this conversation, but I think we just created a new meme in this podcast called the modular DAO. Uh, DAOs being in their current form, monolithic DAOs, just like how blockchains all started monolithic and some blockchains have then progressed into becoming modular and modular blockchains becoming the new frontier level of crypto economic research. I think DAOs are in that same state where every single DAO right now is monolithic, as in there's token weighted governance governing over every single decision and it's causing apathy. The DAO can't go in all directions at once. And so some DAOs, are flirting with the frontier of monolithic DAO structure. And that's really what Orca protocol is. Julia works at Orca. And they are pioneering on-chain compartmentalization of DAOs to have more like what they call pods, but like sub-DAOs or like an org chart of DAOs, if you will. And so we talk about the current state of DAOs and their problems. We talk about organizational history, both in TradFi, traditional institution, org chart, and how that came about, but also its flaws. We talk about the United States of America as the original DAO and how DAOs need to adapt from this monolithic strategy into a modular strategy. And I just get completely pilled during this episode. You can literally hear the moment it happens about this whole pod-pilled or modular DAO strategy. So let's go ahead and get you, the listener, pilled as well. So let's go ahead and get into this conversation with Julia Rosenberg of Orca Protocol and get you pod-pilled right after we listen to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Aave is the leading decentralized liquidity protocol, and now Aave V3 is here. Aave V3 has powerful new features to enable you to get the most out of DeFi, including isolation mode, which allows for many more markets to be launched with more exotic collateral types, and also efficiency mode, which allows for higher loan-to-value ratios, and of course, portals, allowing users to port their Aave position across all of the networks that Aave operates on, like Polygon, Phantom, Avalanche, Arbitrum, Optimism, and Harmony. The beautiful thing about Aave is that it's completely completely open source, decentralized, and governed by its community, enabling a truly bankless future for us all. To get your first crypto collateralized loan, get started at Aave.com, that's A-A-V-E.com, and also check out the Aave Protocol Governance Forums to see what more than 100,000 DAO members are all robbing about at governance.ave.com. The era of proof of stake is upon us, and Lido is bringing proof of stake to everyone. Lido is a decentralized staking protocol that allows users to stake their proof of stake assets using Lido's distributed network of nodes. Don't choose between staking your assets or using them as collateral in DeFi. With Lido, you can have both. Using Lido, you can stake any amount of your ETH to the Lido validating network and receive ST ETH in return. ST ETH can be traded, used as collateral for lending and borrowing, or leveraged on your favorite DeFi protocols. All this without giving up your ETH to centralized staking services or exchanges. Lido now supports Solana, Kusama, and Polygon staking. Whatever your preferred proof-of-stake asset is, Lido is here to take away the complexities of staking while enabling you to get liquidity on your stake. If you want to stake your ETH, Sol, or Matic and get liquidity on your stake, go to lido.fi to get started. That's L-I-D-O.fi to get started. 
Living a bankless life requires taking control over your own private keys. And that's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet. And brand new to the Ledger lineup of hardware wallets is the Ledger Nano S Plus, a huge upgrade to the world's most popular hardware wallet. With more memory and a larger screen, the Nano S Plus makes it easy to navigate and verify your transactions. And the paired Ledger Live desktop app gives you increased transparency as to what is about to happen with your NFT. What you see is what you sign. The Nano S Plus gives you the smoothest possible user experience while you're doing all of your crypto things. So go to the Ledger website to check out the features of the new Ledger Nano S Plus and join the waitlist to get yours. And don't forget about the Crypto Life card, also powered by Ledger. The CL card is a crypto debit card that hooks right into the Ledger Live app, right next to all the DeFi apps and services that you're already used to doing, like swapping tokens and staking. So if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, and take control over your crypto. What's up, Jules? How's What's it going? What's up? Hi, David. This is a very rare opportunity of an in-real-life podcast. I know. I'm welcome, very blessed by your presence. Welcome to Williamsburg, finally. Oh, I'm having a fantastic time being here <laughs> and very bullish on in-real-life podcasts. So we're going to see how this goes. You're yeah. going to be my first guinea pig. Oh, I'm very excited to test this out. So what are you here to do in crypto? The ultimate question. I think that I am here in crypto to figure out how we can use crypto and Ethereum, the blockchain, to better scale human coordination and how we can actually use this trust layer of the blockchain to actually better scale trust in organizations mm -hmm. and DAOs. Okay. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Can we skip to the end? Can we just like <laughs> show the, me the solution? The magic pill. Yes, right. <laughs> um, well, I think, sadly, it's a very iterative process. Mm. I have been using this sort of framework that um, we created at Orca called Trustware and Socialware. Okay. We love new words. Yes. <laughs> and basically the idea is that Socialware is a mechanism that creates assurances through human coordination. This is playing off software? Yes. Where? Software, hardware. Okay. Cool. These are different flavors. Cool. So Socialware is more of the social processes and policies of an organization. Mm -hmm. Whereas Trustware is creating an assurance mechanism that minimizes the reliance on human coordination and human relationships, mm. um, which is more of you know codifying the trust centers of an organization, which we haven't really had the opportunity to do yet with traditional organizations because really traditional organizations use like digitization as a communications layer rather than a trust layer. And that's something mm. that we're very familiar with in crypto is using, you know, Ethereum, the blockchain as a trust layer for our interactions, whether that be financial, whether that be around NFTs, any, all of these things. And so Trustware is a new concept that we're able to use in DAOs to better scale human coordination using these sort of digitized trust centers of organizations. Digitized trust centers of organizations. Okay. So yeah. The, so, so like an example of trustware would be like the governor contract. Like uh -huh. that is a small primitive that was used to better scale decision making around different proposals. That What's doesn't a governor rely contract? The governor contract is the contract that is used um, for token weighted voting. So okay. it's something that Compound created a few years ago. And it's now kind of like the standard contract for token weighted voting. So when people say we forked compound governance, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's all okay. that they're talking about is okay. the governor contract, right. which is basically the state of all DAO governance today. Is <laughs> this thing that was created like two years ago. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I should be bullish or bearish as a result of that. I mean, it is kind of a an interesting state that like 
the governor contract was created and people were like, we did it. Mm -hmm. We figured it out. This is a centralized governance, like mm -hmm. token way to voting. That's all we need to do. And now we're in this phase of like completely storming against DAOs and DAO processes and governance because we're like, this doesn't work. Like there's too many whales that are voting, like they can sway the vote or, mm -hmm. you know, voter apathy. People are engaged. People don't care. Like they're not informed enough to be making these decisions. And we have all of these problems now that exist with token way to voting, which like we, you know, probably could have anticipated a little bit better. Okay. But I think yeah. it's really important now because I think people are seeing how important governance is at this stage. Right. And we are starting to see organizations and DAOs starting to iterate more on those governance processes because mm -hmm. I think um, people understand the weight of those processes and sort of the friction that it's creating and basically becoming like a foot gun on these organizations. Mm -hmm. So I think here's how we can like speed run the history of the recent history of crypto, yeah. the recent ancient history. Uh, Compound makes its governor contract mm -hmm. and simultaneously releases the comp token which yep. kicks off the bull market. Yep. <laughs> so thanks Compound <laughs> for that. And I think like when we had all these DeFi apps, we had Uniswap that launched in 2019. A number of other DeFi applications came out after that, Compound mm -hmm. being one of them. There was a lot of people who were like, these are the fundamentals of crypto. DeFi is like what we're here to do. And then with the Compound governor contract, it created the route, the vehicle, the path for all of these DeFi apps to have a token. Mm -hmm. And that's really where this bull market got started. It's like, oh, we have justifications for tokens now. After yes. everyone got burned in 2017 from ICO tokens that yep. were meaningless, Compound created the governor contract and gave a meaning to tokens. Yes. And so for all the DeFi people, we're like, yes, we solved it. Like we figured out how to tokenize <laughs> stuff. It's with governance. And so we have these governance tokens and then now we've solved like DeFi tokenization and then that kicked off a bull market. And now then we all got drunk on the bull market and now we're having our hangover and our hangover is like, no, 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 You just brought us back to square one, which is the original problem of humanity, which is governance, right? So like you don't solve problems by governance. You just solve the fact that we now have tokens to speculate on via governance. That is a beautiful summary. David. Yeah. Okay. But I also think that like, we're not back to square one. I think that we just kind of like lost sight of it because like of this beautiful path that Compound pay forward in being able to have this token with like utility that you can quite literally see and creating the path for many, many DeFi projects to launch a token. That basically just became the path to creating a DAO. So mm -hmm. everyone now, when you create a DAO, you launch a governor contract or you do something very similar via like snapshot. Mm -hmm. But I think what was missing in a lot of that and what is catching up to people now is that we didn't really implement the social systems to actually create meaningful governance around that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of part of this framework that we created with Orca is like the trustware versus socialware is that if you over index on either, you fuck on your organization. Fuck on mm -hmm. meaning like you shoot yourself in the foot, like you're creating problems for yourself. Okay. And if you over-index on either of those, like you're creating massive problems for yourself. And so I think what's happened with a lot of DAOs is that they've over-indexed on the trustware. It's like we rely wholeheartedly on on-chain governance right. and like the governor contract and, you know, you make a proposal right. and then token holders vote on it. Governor contract is law. Exactly. Code, code is law. Exactly. But then we're like, why is no one showing up to vote? Like, right. where are the people? Mm. Why is there no informed decision-making around the proposals that Where's are Where's the up. culture? Where's the culture? Where's the community? All of these things. And so we started realizing that we're missing some of these social work processes, mm -hmm. which is just like 
kind of the social bedrock and social policies and processes that exist in an organization. Like, I bet if you went and asked, well, as a fun fact, even like delegates don't solve this problem. And like 75% of compound delegates have never voted on an on-chain proposal in their Hmm. lifespan Hmm. of being a compound delegate. And again... What, What signal should we get from that? What does that tell us? I think that tells us... It's a good question. Well, it's also potentially uh, the other side of that fact is that equates to like 80% of all delegated compound. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. majority of delegated compound is voting because I think they understand the responsibility of it. But the majority of delegates are not voting. Okay. And I think that says more about our delegate systems is that people don't understand the responsibility they're taking on when they become a delegate. Right. And we don't actually have clear responsibilities of what that even means. Like when we say like, oh yeah, like I'll be a delegate. Like, sure. Delegate your tokens to me. Like this is fun. It's kind of like mm-hmm. popularity contest. Right. Like you get to see all these people delegate right. to me. <laughs> I can have a bunch of points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> give, me, give me the points <laughs> so I can be higher on yeah. the compound's top 16 favorites. Exactly. Yeah. Like jewels.eth. Yeah. <laughs> but then you start to realize you're like, wait, what am I even supposed to be doing? Like, right. I'm not getting paid for this. Like, mm-hmm. why should I even like waste my time on this? Like, I'm not going to get punished if I don't vote right. on behalf of all these people. Mm-hmm. People don't actually care enough to undelegate to me right so like it's really just a broken system in that sense and i think that's where like all of the social work comes in is like you need to create these sort of policies and processes around how people operate in these systems and i think like makers done a really good job of that with their delegate system is that when you apply to become a delegate like you have to you know say like this is sort of the platform i'm running on and like Mm. there's compensation involved and like there's a much clearer relationship there of what is expected of you and that's all just social wear that's not there's nothing on chain that's saying like you know hasu or monet supply like if these statements right 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 right. it's just understood in the social layer yes it's like socially people know that hasu is about this life and that monet is about that life yes and that's not codified on chain anywhere yes so just just to like differentiate between trustware and social wear just a little bit more Trustware is, what do you call it, like synonymous with code is law? Like it's on the chain, token gate voting. We don't really need too much more than what's the data that's available on the blockchain. And then socialware is like literally everything off chain. Would you accept those Um, definitions? Yeah. I sort of like the comparison of like a lemonade stand versus a vending machine. Like Mm. a lemonade stand relies on socialware of Mm. like you, the vendor, like are asking for payment and Mm. I'm agreeing to those rules. Sure. Whereas vending machine is like, if I literally don't put the money in, like I don't get my right. output, right. I don't get my lemonade. Okay. And I think that is the key difference is like the reliance on human coordinations or humans to execute on the decisions that were made. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any examples for us of organizations or things that have, because you talked about over-indexing on mm. either one or the other. Yeah. Do you have any examples of a DAO or org that over-index on one versus the other? Any stories around that? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is something I love to talk about and shit on is traditional organizations generally uh is them basically over indexing on social wear. Mm. And so, uh, not on purpose though, right? No, again, like I think it's something that they've done on accident and sort of foot gun Mm -hmm. themselves as a lot of these things were actually really productive over time. Like what's really interesting in the United States is over the last like a hundred years, productivity in the United States has been on like a crazy upwards trajectory. Hmm. Like, Every year, we just become more and more productive as a workforce. And obviously, there are like 
things in there that created massive gains for us, like the industrial revolution and then like telecommunications and the internet and computers and all of these things. But what's really interesting is that in the last 10 years, like when technology and digitization is at an all time high is that we've actually plateaued in our productivity rates. Mm -hmm. We're actually becoming increasingly less productive and efficient as like a workforce, which is, I think, a very interesting thing to think about. And like my sort of thesis on it is that a lot of it is that the sort of improvements we're trying to make is really mostly in digitization, like more software, more technology, like, you know, let's just add another SaaS tool to this organization or, you know, what's the next thing we can do up. And where traditional organizations have failed is that they increasingly add more friction via these sort of social wear mechanisms. So add a better expense, like reporting software, add like, you know, some TradFi like software that- Generic project management tool. Exactly. That we have a meeting about to update every like three days. Exactly. And so that's a big part of the problem, I think, is that we've basically over- uh, like indexed on the social processes. So like, this is something I go back to all the time is Reed Hastings, like culture, like Netflix culture presentation that he did in, I think 2008, where he really de-emphasized bureaucracy and creating these types of processes. Like he felt very early on that the key to success in corporate culture is autonomy and freedom and flexibility and sort of self-responsibility, which uh, I think is... The opposite of what I associate with corporate culture. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. I think there's a lot to learn there and like very synonymous with some of the values we see in DAOs. Mm-hmm. Real quick, like side quest. Why is something like a project management tool or like some expense tool, some trad web to software, why is that socialware, not trustware? Because we're not relying on it for the execution of these things. Like it's really just a means of mm. analyzing things further. And I think that's where some of the efficiency or productivity plateau has come in is that our digitization isn't around making things happen quicker or faster or better. It's actually analyzing how people Uh, are working and talking about the problem. Exactly. Not doing, not fixing the problem. It's like measuring the problem rather than executing on the problem. And so like all of this expense software that we see in like traditional companies is really just measuring like how much is David spending every month? Like, Mm -hmm. and you know, through all of these layers, like that put like a person further away from David to make a decision Mm. based on like if Mm. he's spending too much and if we should approve these expenses. Okay. Rather than... So somebody like three degrees away from me is saying that like David is being a degenerate and we need to fire (laughs) him or something. Not knowing that like I'm actually doing allegedly really good stuff. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so those are the types of things that really slow down people and Mm -hmm. organizations. And on the flip side, like I kind of pointed to the example of over-indexing on trustware when like some of these DAOs solely rely on like the governor contract or Mm -hmm. other on-chain mechanisms to like build out their governance systems. And again, that doesn't really like leave us in a good place in terms of how us as people are supposed to operate in a system. And so I think that where we're starting to converge with some of the like outcries I think we've recently seen around centralized governance is that we need to meet somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. and that like trustware independently can't be successful without like layers of social wear around it and vice versa. 
there was this recent meme going around a couple months ago, right during the peak of like private market hotness. Uh-huh. It was like Dow tooling, like <laughs> like Dow tooling, like this Dow tool raised this much money, this Dow tool raised that much money. Yeah. Is Dow tooling like part of this trying to get at the social wear layer of Dow's? Is that kind of similar? That's a good question. Or where are we innovating at the trustware layer? Yeah. What, I mean, what does innovation on the trustware layer look like? I think that's where we're still really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something like I'm obviously working on with Orca is like we're in the business of basically building trustware. So mm-hmm. our key trust primitive are pods, mm-hmm. um, which is the ability to group like small stakeholders based on their expertise and empower them in governance. Um, when you say group them, in what capacity? Like you put them into a room together or like how, how are we grouping This is the new Web3 Airbnb actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we're basically creating like a permissions layer around these groups of people and okay. saying, you know, based on X, Y, and Z criteria or based on, you know, this stakeholder mapping that this organization has done, you have the permission mm-hmm. to execute on high functioning governance parameters. We're talking about on-chain at this point. Yes, okay. completely on-chain. So the group of people is a group of Ethereum addresses on-chain that are approved to do something? Yes. Right, so is Orca trying to make like an on-chain org chart? Basically, yeah. yeah. Like what Orca enables is sort of mapping your stakeholders in your mm-hmm. organization and as a result, like helping define your organizational shape. Okay. And that in a way, also creates like this decentralized permissions layer that mm-hmm. you can better interact with all the tools that you're operating with. Okay, so is it optimizing for like more user individuality and autonomy by breaking one DAO up into yes. smaller DAOs? Yes. And allowing those smaller DAOs to move faster by the nature of what small organizations do because they're not held back by their bigger DAO. And then the bigger DAO just votes or by governance determines what the smaller DAOs actually are. Yep. Vitalik created a a good framework around it a few years ago of bulldozer governance versus vitocracy, vetoocracy Mm -hmm. governance. Mm -hmm. And vitocracy is basically just like vetoocracy. So it's really just pointing to like stakeholder governance, which is everything that we know in decentralized governance today. And then bulldozer governance is more around giving specific individuals like high amounts of autonomy Mm -hmm. with like you can think of it more as like optimistic governance. It's like, sure. we're going to assume that David's going to act benevolently right. on behalf of this organization. It's a good bet. Until he, <laughs> <laughs> until he proves otherwise. <laughs> and then we slap him on the wrist for it. Right. And so we like, don't go crazy until they F it up. And then as soon as they F it up and then pull the plug. Exactly. Yeah. But we don't really have like mechanisms for that today. Like, again, mm. the only like widely adopted primitive that we have is the governor contract. Right. How many times will I say the governor contract <laughs> in this podcast? Um, but that's like really the only widely adopted primitive that we have and the only way we know how. And I think people have had a really hard time with bulldozer governance and again, giving individuals or groups of individuals high amounts of power or autonomy because we haven't really had the accountability systems to mm. ensure that they act benevolently. Like mm. we are all too familiar with malicious actors. Yeah. And again, like we're putting a potentially a lot of power in these people. And so that's, again, kind of like what Orca enables is creating these more flexible and modular permission systems so that when we, you know, put David in a pod and delegate to the pod, like some essential governance functions, like let's say even some like protocol parameters, like you get to mess with the contracts even. Mm. 
we need to make sure that we can pull back those parameters at any moment or pull back you from those parameters at any moment. And to this date, we really haven't had mechanisms like that to create better accountability systems around individuals that want to fill into high performing roles in organizations. Okay. Okay. So at one level, this makes a ton of sense. Yeah. The general state of DAOs, I would say there for every like 100 DAO people, there are like three that <laughs> do stuff and get stuff done and move the exactly. needle. And then there's 97 people watching. Yeah. And so all about putting more power and resources into those three people. Mm-hmm. But where I'm still confused a little bit is like, why does putting them into a pod change anything? Like, cool, we have like on-chain permissions and on-chain org charts, and maybe we can just put capital from the big org into their smaller pod so that they have the resource to go and run with it. Yeah. But like, what does actually compartmentalizing them inside of a pod? Like, they were going to go and build stuff anyways. What do we really unlock by putting them into a pod? Yeah, so you're basically creating this flexible container that's able to actually interact in the governance system. Mm -hmm. So, like, we all know that that already happens with, like, multi-sigs. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, people set up a multi-sig and then they get funding and then they go and do their thing. But they're not really part of the governance system or part of that ecosystem. So what Orca enables is the ability to create sort of like principal agent relationships Mm -hmm. within these pods. So you could basically delegate what we call an admin key to another address that could be a specific person it could be another pod or even like a smart contract for example the governor contract and the admin as a result has the ability to manage the members on that pod Mm -hmm. so potentially in the future also manage like the rules and requirements that they're beholden to so for example like we could put you in a pod and say like we're delegating the admin key to the governor contract meaning that Mm -hmm. the token holders have direct control over who sits on this pod, not the decisions that they're making specifically. Mm-hmm. So again, it's just kind of breaking up some of those decision-making like powers and creating these checks and balances systems within a more dynamic governance system. Okay. So like the governor contract has like access over the treasuries. Mm-hmm. And so, and they also can determine who is going to be in this pod A. Mm-hmm. And so they can say like, all right, since the whole entire DAO, the big DAO through the governor contract says, let's give pod A... $10 million of resources, put $10 million in their treasury, and they also get to update the contracts. And so they don't get to rug the entire treasury, but they do get to upgrade the software that the DAO runs. So like if this is Yearn, for example. Mm-hmm. So we've got Yearn core contributors, give them $10 million for their salary for 2023, and then they also can like update the strategies. But they can't rug the entire treasury, and maybe there's some other stuff too, but like I'm on the right track here. Yeah. I think yeah. like a good example is what we just did with Tribe, which I know is very contentious <laughs> mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of drama around some of the recent votes that happened, which I think was also potentially like misdirected because it actually worked exactly as it was intended. So an implementation we just did with Tribe was creating NoteDAO, mm-hmm. which is basically Tribe created a few pods for each of their products specifically Mm. to hold like contract powers over. And Uh. those pods have the autonomy to make decisions over those, but they're wrapped with a time lock contract, meaning that token holders have the ability to veto decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. So again, we're assuming Mm. you're Mm -hmm. acting correctly, but, and like, it's kind of an optimistic governance implementation, but if we disagree with a decision that you make, like we have the opportunity to veto that and participate in these sort of governance decisions. And that's what recently happened. 
So the pods can do whatever they want, mm -hmm. but the meta, the big DAO can veto that. In this specific example, in this specific example. that tribe did of right. Nope DAO, that was, yeah, that was right. the case. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And so like if in this particular case, tribe will, or one of the smaller DAOs, one of the smaller pods will go and do something and they'll do something again and then they'll do something again and hopefully they keep on working and then they do something stupid and then the DAO is like, no, we don't like that one. Yep. But up to that point, they have the total freedom and sovereignty to do whatever they want. And exactly. they still have freedom and sovereignty to do whatever they want, but the DAO still gets the ability to say, say no. Exactly. Right. And so that's creating these more dynamic governance systems. And also I think what's worth calling out is that behind the scenes, like it could be argued that that's how a lot of this runs regardless, mm -hmm. like in a bunch of the big protocols is that, you know, we all know the meme of like the core contributors and investors run everything. Like mm -hmm. they can basically sway the vote in any direction that they want and potentially behind the curtain, that's already what's happening. Right. But I think that's a really dangerous game to be playing is like, if we're not honest about the power structures that do exist, then we mm -hmm. can't actually grow those systems. And so I think it's really important to be like a lot more honest about the structures that do exist in these organizations, because mm -hmm. then we can meaningfully scale them and continue to grow them beyond just like, you know, a group of 20 insiders. Cool. Cool. One of the critiques of DeFi governance, DAO governance, is that like there's so many inactive participants in DAO governance. Yeah. And this has been true since MakerDAO. So even before we had called it DeFi, mm. there was DAO governance because there was MakerDAO. And even at best, there would be like 20% MKR participation. And that was back in... <laughs> 2018, when MKR supply was super concentrated, I don't even think we're anywhere close to that now. Yeah. In defense of that, an abstention or a non-participation of MKR voting or just endow voting in general mm -hmm. could also be implied as uh, if you're not getting up off of your butt to go vote with your tokens in a DAO, it's because the vote wasn't controversial enough to get you to get up off your ass or you just were down for it to go through anyways. Yeah. Do you agree with that take? And is that a good state for DAOs to be in? Um, I agree with that take, but I don't know if it's a good state for DAOs to be in. Okay. Like I think, again, you're leaving it up to like the whim of the few engaged participants to decide mm -hmm. if this is meaningful enough for them. And so as a result, you leave like a lot of power on the table to be taken by whoever that is. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, like, that is like a super fair outcome is that there is a group of like specific people that feel that they have the expertise to vote on maybe the most boring proposals that no one cares about. Mm -hmm. But why are we not empowering them further in the organizations to just make those decisions freely? Hmm. Okay. Hmm. That doesn't unlock everything, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like this is one small, yeah, one small thing before we get to a much larger vision of highly sophisticated DAO 100%, structure. 100%. But I think that's like a key part of it is that we really haven't seen like that much innovation or experimentation happen in DAOs mm -hmm. in the last few years. Like mm -hmm. they've all been following the same formula. And I think that's really problematic is like we need to be continuously iterating and like testing out new frame, like implementations of, of how we're executing these decisions and growing the organization. But unfortunately, I think governance has been like too high stakes for anyone to like have the balls to do that, basically. Mm -hmm. Do you think we do too much voting? Like, it, shouldn't the idea for DAOs to do minimum viable voting, uh -huh. as in only the biggest things should really go to vote? And 
the smaller things and medium things should be kind of figured out in other mechanisms that mm. don't require the signing of a ledger mm. and should be like more broken down into its subcomponent parts and like let smaller pockets of the DAO make those decisions in a more centralized fashion rather than it. I feel like the long term of DAOs should feel a little bit like a court model, like where if mm-hmm. some if a really big important decision is contentious, yeah. it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, which is like actual token vote the yep. f- at the whole entire DAO level. And then smaller, more minutia things, as in like, do we accept marketing firm A or marketing firm B is not token vote, but like done at like a county level. Yep. Where there's like, you know, only a sub-stack fraction of the DAO. Should DAOs just ultimately be that same sort of structure of just like trying to answer decisions as quickly as possible, mostly on the periphery as possible? Um, yes. Because I think, again, then you're taking the weight off of the token holders. Mm-hmm. So like if we have an ops pod that is strictly tasked with like approving, you know, different payment forms, like yes, we choose marketing firm A versus marketing firm B. Like that -hmm. immediately frees up bandwidth from the rest of the token holders to vote, like you argued, Mm -hmm. on things that are actually contentious and actually important. Mm -hmm. And I think you kind of were just like pod-pilled in what you were describing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because that's basically like what we're envisioning is like Uh you need to be able to create these systems to delegate power away and create these checks and balances systems. Like Uh I was a politics major like love political systems, like love studying all this. And however terrible the U.S. government is, like they were onto something and at least the, <laughs> <laughs> the theoretical they implementation. Were onto one, at one point in time, they, they were onto something. <laughs> long, long time ago. Um, in the theoretical implementation of like a three-branch government, uh-huh. you know, like the different branches of government act on different things and that they all hold each other accountable in different ways. And I think that would be an interesting model for people to work towards, not necessarily in copying the U.S. government. Right. I'm absolutely not supporting that message. But I think more just in creating like multi-stakeholder group governance rather than just this one bucket we have of token holders. Right. Arbitrum is an Ethereum layer two scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 300 projects have already deployed to Arbitrum and the DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Some of the coolest and newest NFT collections have chosen Arbitrum as their home, all the while DeFi protocols continue to see increased usage and liquidity. Using Arbitrum has never been easier, especially with the ability to deposit directly into Arbitrum through all the exchanges, including Binance, FTX, Huobi, and Crypto.com. Once inside, you'll notice Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit arbitrum.io slash developer to start building your dApp on Arbitrum. If you're a DGEN, many of your favorite dApps on Ethereum are already on Arbitrum with many moving over every day. Go to bridge.arbitrum.io now to start bridging over your ETH and other tokens in order to experience DeFi NFTs in the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, secure, and friction-free. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest, cheapest, and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about the long wait times or high fees to get your assets to the chain of your choice. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic oracle to securely transfer tokens from Layer 2 back to Ethereum. A token proposal is being deliberated as we speak in the Across forum, where community members will decide 
decide on the token distribution. You can have your part of Across's story by joining the Discord and becoming a co-founder and helping to design the fair, fair launch of Across. If you want to bridge your assets quickly and securely, go to across.to to bridge your assets between Ethereum, Optimism, Arbitrum, or Boba networks. Rocket Pool is your friendly, decentralized Ethereum staking protocol. You can stake your ETH with Rocket Pool and get our ETH in return, allowing you to stake your ETH and use it in DeFi at the same time. You can get 4% on your ETH by staking it with Rocket Pool, but you can get even more by running a node. Rocket Pool is the only staking provider that allows anyone to permissionlessly join their network of validating nodes. Running a Rocket Pool node is easier to set up than running a solo node, and you only need 16 ETH to get started. Why would you do this? You get an extra 15% staking commission on the pooled ETH, so your APY is boosted. So if you're bullish ETH staking, you can increase your APY and get some extra tokens by adding your node to the decentralized Rocket Pool network, which currently has over a thousand independent validators. It's yield farming, but with Ethereum nodes. You can get started at rocketpool.net and also join the Rocket Pool community in their Discord. You can find me hanging out there sometimes in the chat, so I'll see you there. So for what it's worth, like if you tally up all courts inside of the United States, mm -hmm. there's probably like a pretty good number of decisions done per day, yeah. per second. 100%. Right? Like, and some of them are bigger, more contentious. So they funnel upwards and upwards and upwards. Mm -hmm. And then like when it makes its way, the few things that do make their way to the Supreme Court, it, like it starts to get like national media attention mm -hmm. and people start like gluing their eyes to it. And it sucks away the attention capital of everyone in the United States because it actually like Roe v. Wade, for example, the entire the country puts down what they're doing to pay attention yeah. to that. Yeah. So like, highly resource consumptive when something goes to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is like, and we've used this line on Bankless a number of times, the United States is like the original model of a doubt. Yep. Like it is the OG, let's push decision makings towards the margins. Let's have yeah. a representative democracy. Uh, mm -hmm. And like we'll have the central government, but then we'll have also have state rights and states governments. And yep. the states are like, well, like we're also kind of big too. So we're going to go down to the counties and the counties go down to the cities. Yes. Uh, and, and so like, is this like this tree structure? Is this what you call getting orca pilled? Is this this whole thing? <laughs> yes, 1000%. You are yeah. officially orca pilled. Congratulations. Nice. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be like, think about that. If we actually created a system like that within a DAO, like mm -hmm. think about how much more productive and efficient we would be. Like mm -hmm. rather than everything rolling up to like a single body right now. Right. Like that is our only option that we have currently. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. It is, it's crazy. Yeah. But I think that's also just saying that like we're really early. Like <laughs> the other favorite line of fake is <laughs> we're so early. <laughs> and these are so, so mm -hmm. nascent. Mm -hmm. And I think again, it takes a lot to like unlearn what we know. Like the corporate model right. is so ingrained in us mm -hmm. is like the only way that organizations can be built. And that takes like a lot of unlearning to think about mm -hmm. how we can decouple that. Right. And so I think we're like just at the beginning, but like I truly believe that in the future, DAOs will be more efficient than traditional organizations because right. mm -hmm. the most important part is you're putting people as close as possible to the decision-making like mm -hmm. meat space of that organization. Like with the use of like trustware, you are quite literally giving people the execution power to perform what they need to do. And that is not something that's available in traditional organizations. If you want to make a decision in a mm -hmm. traditional organization, Good right. luck. Right. Like send it through the chain of command, mm -hmm. get that budget analysis going, like start doing all those things. I'm not saying that those aren't things we should practice in DAOs. Like we can still, I think, learn a lot in terms of implementing some of those practices. But I think the key part is that you're bringing people who potentially have like the most expertise and 
excitement to work on those things as close to the decision meet space as possible. Right. The vision that I'm getting, picking up on a little bit, and this is a theme that I've noticed throughout the space. Like yeah. one of the first times I kind of figured out this pattern was with Justin Blau's mm-hmm. Platform Royal, where like if you have a creator and the creator can have a token, you give the audience or the fans a way to reverberate the value that they see from the creator. Mm. And, and so like it's a two-way flow of value. From like the creator creates the creation and then he gives it out to his fans. And then the fans are like, we really like that. Here's our feedback. Mm. And that feedback comes through the voice of the token. Mm. And what I'm seeing with like traditional orgs, traditional hierarchies, it's only one way. It's top down. You are bestowed your duties (laughs) and then you do them and you don't really have a way to like give feedback back up to the top. You just, you receive your inputs, you give your outputs and your outputs are the product of your labor, but not the outputs of your opinion. Your, yep. your opinion kind of stays fixed. So like if you have the opinion of we should change this, I have an opinion about how we should do this differently. That part doesn't flow back up. That part just stays in your brain and starts to accrue in resentment. And then you put your job <laughs> and go into Web3. Exactly. And so exactly. Like, if we have this org structure of DAOs, which is a little bit more just like back and forth where information does flow both ways. Mm. That is in line with the pattern I see in Web3 where like you actually get to have feedback and autonomy and agency much more fluidly than just like a top-down organization. 100%. And I think that's speaking a lot more to the future (laughs) of work and the future of like labor markets and economies is like Mm -hmm. no one wants to be like a corporate like person their whole life anymore. Like that generation is like very outdated at this point. Mm -hmm. Like people are changing jobs like every few years now. They want to level up. They want to get closer to the decision space. Like a lot of people are just quitting their corporate job entirely and going freelance. Like these are all the sort of labor trends that we're seeing and how people want to participate in these organizations and make meaningful contributions that isn't just creating like, you know, labor liquidity at these massive corporations. Mm -hmm. Labor liquidity. Nice. That's Um, my new favorite word. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How do, how do we get there? How do we go from having one DAO? Oh my gosh. It's like the, you know, the modular blockchain thesis. Tell me. Yes. Or the modular versus monolithic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. So like we're now in the state of monolithic DAOs. Yes. And we need to become modular DAOs. Yes. Nice. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. Modularity is tight. Pod-pilled. It yes. is. It's the most important. How do we go from monolithic DAOs to modular DAOs? Because, you know, Ethereum's been trying to get modular to, to extend the metaphor. Ethereum's yeah. trying to be modular for years now. Yeah. Uh, is Are we going to have a hard time turning our monolithic DAOs into modular DAOs? I mean, that's a big part of what we're doing. Like, mm-hmm. I think one of the answers is pods is like, how do we start to break down some of these governance systems or start to delegate power away from this monolithic structure? And I think we feel like very impassioned with helping DAOs to do that. I think the biggest part is that you have to operate within the faulty coordination systems to (laughs) to implement the improved coordination systems (laughs) so it's a bit of a Mm -hmm. chicken and egg problem yeah 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 a coordination problem yeah (laughs) which we're very familiar with but i think generally like most DAOs are are moving this direction like we have been memeing the pod very hard Mm -hmm. for a while and i think we're starting to see that in basically every DAO like has their own implementation of pods or their own aspirations or flavor towards pods. Like 
And we've seen it with several DAOs too, like Maker has core units, Yearn created Y teams, Synthetic created like the Spartan Council. These were all like early forms of delegating power towards mm. smaller committees or you know, fewer individuals to give them. So we've already been doing this. We've seen the early implementations right. of it. Okay. I think the biggest problem though is again those accountability systems. Mm-hmm. Is we haven't had a way to include that in our governance systems. Is that we kind of just have to like rely on right. human coordination and social trust to like send off these funds into a multi-sig that is not captured by our organization. Ah, uh, right. And then just so hope on-chain. they do what they're doing. For just to pick synthetics on chain, there's like this DAO vote that puts money into a multi-sig, but that multi-sig has no on-chain association with the actual org other than the fact it received money, not any sort of like backward flow of communication that's on chain. Yep. And so we need to build flows like the multi-sig is formally part of the synthetics protocol or like whatever DAO. And not only does this pod, this, Mm -hmm. this multi-sig, Received, did it receive money, but it can also control other things about the protocol itself. Yep, exactly. Tight. Tight, tight, tight. tight, tight. tight. <laughs> <laughs> I am Phil. I am Orca Phil. Yeah. We love it. No, this makes sense. And like the, the modular idea, I think, fits really, really well. Yeah. Um, well, one of the arguments that we make about like the Ethereum modular strategy is that it seems to be the logical conclusion of blockchain. So like, yeah. If you re-roll the dice about the universe 10,000 times, maybe it wouldn't be called Ethereum, but it would be a modular blockchain with yeah. like a data availability layer and mm-hmm. multi-clients and all this stuff. And I feel like you could make the same claim about DAOs in the future. It's like yeah. re-roll the dice a thousand times and very, 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 perhaps never would you ever end up at a monolithic DAO outcome. It's probably always going to converge on modularity. It's just a matter of how we get there. 100%. Would you say like Orca is like, is, is Orca primitive? Yeah, I would say it's a primitive. Like I think of pods as sort of like the nodes of this contributor graph and Orca, the protocol, Mm -hmm. manages how all of these nodes are interconnected with each other. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the way I would break it down. So after like the first DAO starts to, oh, it's also kind of like cellular division, right? You have like one monolithic cell and then it divides seven times into like smaller cells that each start to optimize for different things. And all of a sudden you can grow in body. I love nature. There's Um, so many like nature comparisons, technical comparisons to this, like just like human comparisons to this. Like it's amazing. Right. Not to speed run through that metaphor. So let's go into that a little bit. So right now we have the monolithic DAO structure as like the status quo. Uh Uh, And it's inefficient. Can't really do anything. It's trying to get pulled in all directions at once, but it's just a cell. So it can't. Yeah, uh, like so it's an, a red blood cell. That's right. all it's supposed to do. Yeah, it's got one thing. Yep. Uh, and so in order to go in multiple directions at once, it needs to create parts of the overall cohesive structure that are optimized for that. So mm-hmm. the cell starts dividing from one cell to two cells and two cells to many cells. And then we start like a growing appendages. And so yep. we have like... And copying that DNA as it goes, mm, like the DNA of that organization, the purpose, the mi- mission, mm, the vision. The social contract. The social contract. Is built into the cellular division. You would hope. Ooh, I would hope so. Yeah. That's a different conversation. That is I don't, a different I don't conversation. think you have the assurances of that. Totally. Social wear, trust wear pill too. Oh my We've God. Wait, what? There's another half of this conversation. Uh, okay. But just, just, to, just to tie off the metaphor. Yeah. Uh, this DAO starts growing like eyeballs to understand its own metrics and yep. KPIs. Yep. It starts growing 
its own hands and fingers to go and reach out to other agencies to get stuff done, to, to grab more tools. Yep. Uh, and so like different parts of these DAOs start specializing and optimizing in different directions. And over yes. time we have like different organs with different sensory inputs and the ability to create outputs because we have modular DAOs that are optimized in many different ways, many different flavors, but they're all tied together by this one meta DAO and the meta DAO, the actual DAO is like the prefrontal cortex of the damn thing. Done. Type. Beautiful. Okay. I actually love that too. Yeah. Like imagine if we relied on our entire bodily capacity on one organ in our body. Right. We now do. it's time to beat the heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be the brain, heart, kidney, and bladder all in one yeah. David. <laughs> <laughs> and if you forgot about anything else, those things stop working. <laughs> we will self-implode in one day. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, like, part of TradFi, TradOrgs, yeah. hierarchies, yeah. is that the culture doesn't, like, extend. It doesn't permeate throughout the org. Yeah. Like, one of the reasons why we have been at Bankless very, very intentionally slow to scale is that we, we need... Love that. Right? We need, Love Everyone's that. got to tie into the culture... Before we add in another person, yes. right? You don't add 13 people at once because how do you scale out culture to like when we are literally a team of 13-ish or so, give or take, and you double the size of your org, how yeah. do you get all of those people to add in to join the culture efficiently? So like we're yes. very intentionally slow to scale and that's worked out really, really well for us. Mm-hmm. If we're trying to build out DAOs to, and have like one DAO be like fucking massive, excuse the language, how do we get culture to also like scale out with all of these cell divisions because cell divisions is a geometric growth right Mm -hmm. like like exponential growth Mm -hmm. how do we get culture to scale exponentially yeah this is my other favorite topic is that you really are hitting it all tapping into this (laughs) organs Uh people um but i think this is like also one of the biggest potential failures that we can tap into is that more people does not equal more productive. Right. And that's something that like you have beautifully discovered as mm-hmm. a leader within Bankless and growing your team is that like, sure, we could, if we wanted to hire 30 more people and just build this right. machine, but like, how would that, you know, how would right. that DNA copy from each person right. to the next? Right. And it wouldn't. Lots of, lots of bad mutations. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We would have some cells die on themselves. Mm-hmm. And, I think that's something that we have to be really aware of. Like, I I always forget if it's Trake or Zaku from Coordinate that said this, but you can only scale at the speed of trust. Mm. And so that was a big part of, like, our early pod thinking is that, like, the most basic primitive or, like, the smallest unit of an organization is just small groups of people. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was a big part of how I sort of landed into Orca was just thinking about consumer behavior and that we have this, like, obsession in Web2, like, internet culture and also, like, corporate culture that it's just a game of the masses. Like, the more people, the better. More subscribers, more followers, more, you know, people in the community. Like, let's just grow this thing as big as we can get. And what I saw so, like, aggressively happening was just that it actually degraded those systems really, really quickly. Mm. Was that, you know, if you had this, like, let's say, special internet community and you decided, like, let's get to a million followers, is, like, it was actually way more powerful when it was, like, a 100 people. Right. And that path is actually really dangerous. And you start to lose sort of, like, the value alignment and integrity of that thing. Right. Because the, the followers are like, why are we here? Yeah, or they're like, I don't really care to show up in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And like, 
I think the same thing has happened with corporate companies, like in building this concept of like labor liquidity. Like if we just hire as many people as possible, that creates some type of moat for us that, you know, we're safe because we just have all these people to build meaningless shit for us that will never make it into production. And so uh, that was like a, a really big part of our early thinking with pods is that the most functional unit of an organization is just a small group of people. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you scale beyond like maybe eight people in that single pod, like you've lost it. Like mm. you've basically lost your optimal like window of effective coordination, communication, collaboration. And that is really what we need to be optimizing for. So I think that is kind of the way that you have to think about it. Like, the Orca team is now 11 people and we just recently split it up into two pods because we're like, this is no, mm-hmm. this isn't too big to have a single group mm-hmm. of people on a meeting talking trying to connect with each other. Like, and we'll likely probably like break it down even further because I can only like effectively communicate or collaborate with like a kumbaya like right. <laughs> circle of people. And that is applies to everything. Like uh-huh. our group of friends, our like corporate team or like yoga class, like whatever it is, is that's just kind of how we naturally operate as people. Like the Dow world is obsessed with this Dunbar's number. Right. And I think it's really relevant. It's mm-hmm. just like the internet has created this new version of Dunbar's number that like every circle is actually thousands and thousands of people because of our digital networks. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like how are we actually meaningfully showing up and participating in a meaningful and engaging way in those circles. And that still looks a lot smaller. Like mm-hmm. again, eight-ish people. Right. So when you break up your pod into two pods, mm-hmm. how how does how do those two pods coordinate? Like how does that happen? Yeah. Because do you need a third pod to get that done or like what happens with this? Yeah, I mean I think it depends on the group. Like mm-hmm. I think that's what's sort of beautiful about the way Orca operates. It's like we're not opinionated about how you coordinate or how you do the work that you need to do. Like a lot of that lies at the social layer. Mm. Is The answer is just figure it out. It's not yeah. That, it's not that hard. That, yeah. that question is actually not that big of a deal, David. <laughs> I mean, it is a big deal, though, because I think that is what a lot of DAOs are struggling with right now is mm. like, okay, you know, the ops team is saying that we need to reduce our burn rate and like, oops, we're accidentally spending $50 million a year. Like, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And then the marketing pod is still just pumping out, like, money for ads and all these things. So I do think it's really important. And I think that's where we sort of rely on socialware systems. Like, Mm -hmm. how do we create, like, a pod that maybe is a source of truth for funding and how we're allocating budgeting and, and funds? But that's actually a pod of pods where every pod has a seat at the table to advocate for themselves or mm-hmm. create proposals that are aligned with, you know, how they want to proceed. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a combination and I think it is important to be very clear about where there are failures in those communications. Mm-hmm. What about the current state of Dow governance makes you optimistic? I think the thing that makes me most optimistic about the state of DAO governance is that people are as bearish as ever. (laughs) (laughs) So we're in like problem solving mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think people are finally realizing like, oh shit, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. And like, this is creating massive ripple effects 
if we don't figure this out. Mm -hmm. Like there will be massive liquidations. There will be financial repercussions. Like we will not control our burn rate. Like all of these things are rising. Like Mm -hmm. I told you so. (laughs) <laughs> not gonna lie <laughs> but i think that's really important is that we are sort of in this like storming phase of doubts where people are like it isn't working like right. why are we doing this if you look at the pnl <laughs> we are dead <laughs> exactly it's and all I, we doubt i actually have like i really think that i'm like very bullish on dows during a bear market because mm-hmm. you know cash is tight like things aren't insane anymore. And I think it really pushes DAOs to figure their shit out and think very critically about the systems that they're adopting as an organization. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually like very optimistic for this sense of frustration that's happening in DAO governance. Right. Right. Yes. Because we only move forward if we actually feel pain. Um, Exactly. Unironically, that is absolutely true. Exactly. Um, I mean, people are looking at their treasuries and they're like, huh, why didn't we do a treasury diversification like 10 months ago? <laughs> They're like, we just couldn't get the proposal through. Sorry, yeah. guys. <laughs> Our tokens sound bad. Rip. <laughs> For all of the Dowers that are listening to this, whether it's just a Dow community member or a Dow leader, Mm. What would you say? And they're already pilled. They're like, all right, like I understand the modular DAO vision. Yeah. My DAO is super too monolithic. I need to make it more modular. What steps should they take? What needs to happen first? Mm, that's a good question. I think just thinking about the biggest pain points in their organization, like mm-hmm. where are the biggest failures happening? And then also what type of structure do you want to create? I think that's like also part of the problem right now is that everyone just sort of looks to what's been done and people really want like a template or a mental model to adopt. Mm -hmm. But I think you just have to think very critically about one, like what are the essential governance functions that you have in your organization? And two, who like should basically be responsible for those essential governance functions. Mm -hmm. And that's how you start figuring out like what your organizational structure should look like. Cool. Yeah. Cool. If people need resources to access these tools, where should they go? We're actually building out a ton of resources at Orca right now. Obviously, all of our Trustware product that we're building, but mm-hmm. we're actually building out some cool socialware templates too. Chase Chapman and Frog Monkey on our team. And Chase is obsessed with like holacracy and sociocracy, co-op models, and trying to take a lot of learnings from some of those systems mm-hmm. and think about how we can incorporate like productive processes and policies. So we actually are coming up with some really cool resources. So check us out on Twitter, Orca Protocol, come through to the Discord, all of those things. So like, what is Orca though? Because cool, you guys have this cool DAO structure. Yeah. But like, what's the point? Like, (laughs) (laughs) do do you get it? It's just like, Yearn DAO makes a yield aggregator, MakerDAO runs a credit facility, Orca DAO is governance, but governance over what? (laughs) You mean like, what will Orca Protocol, the DAO, be? Yes. Okay, yes. What's the product? (laughs) Other than being really good at governing, what are we, don't we have to govern over something? Well, so basically it's kind of what I was saying. It's like the product that we're building with Uh Orca are pods. That's like our key primitive that we're building. which is Kind of like how Gnosis makes Gnosis multisig? Yeah. Okay. And so we're building this permissions wrapper around Uh multisig to create more modular governance systems. Okay. And we will be continuing to... I think, create interesting features in that sort of governable surface area there. So again, like pods are sort of like the nodes of this permissions graph and Orca, the protocol, helps manage the relationships between those. So 
For example, something that's like a feature that's upcoming with Orca is that you can actually assign like arbitrary rule logic mm -hmm. to gatekeep membership. So you could assign, you know, very basic things like let's say, you know, you must hold 20,000 bank tokens to sit on this pod mm -hmm. or you must be mm -hmm. X amount active in like on-chain proposals right. to maintain your position in the meta governance pod. Mm -hmm. So you can start to create sort of little parameters to ensure that people are acting like benevolently or in good faith on behalf of these orgs. And I think will help create some more like complex agreements so that, you know, you can build out, I think, more interesting use cases of that. So like those are examples of protocol developments that like mm -hmm. we'll be having in the next few months. So eventually like that protocol, like Orca, the protocol element that is helping manage the relationships between pods will have like a ton of meat space in terms of what can be explored in helping, mm -hmm. you know, these small units interact with each other and again, just build more dynamic governance systems. And how does Orca capture resources from this? It's a great question. Just also as an FYI, we are not a DAO yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you were asking? No. So, well, like, I mean, every DAO captures resources in one way or another, right? Like Uniswap yeah. can captures trade fees. Uh -huh. Urine takes a, a percentage off of their yield aggregation. Yeah. Orca DAO gets money from blank. Orca protocol. Or protocol. Yeah. I think it's still very much to be determined. I mean, I think the sort of permissions layer of DAOs is one of the most important things to be mm -hmm. working towards. Like, I think the financial element is very commoditized. Like, that's, that's the easiest thing to do in crypto is send money. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to move people and mm -hmm. move people around. And that's what we're simplifying with our product is basically the creating this sort of orchestration layer for DAOs and organizations to better manage the orchestration, <laughs> orchestration nice. layer for DAOs to better manage the relationships, the contributors and permissions that exist within their organization. Cool. Yeah. One last question that might be off in a different direction, but like say some DAO org just like just kills it with a pot structure mm -hmm. and they make like this template where like the very basic template of that kind of how like everyone forks compound the governor yeah. contract. Well, the compound governor contract is like the monolithic DAO mm -hmm. or perhaps just like the prefrontal cortex of a DAO, which is actually where DAOs you would think would start is like, okay, if we're going to make, if we're going to make a whole entire body, you got to start with the brain because you have the brain has to think about how to create the body. But then some DAO is successful in going from monolithic to modular and they create this basic contract like system like mm -hmm. that is totally copyable can like other orgs just take that off the yes. shelf and just like start spitting out DAOs yes. and have like a bull mania for DAOs? Yes. That's what's so fucking cool uh -huh. is that we're like going to help also build out those templates. So we're in the process of building what we call the podarchy builder. Mm -hmm. So podarchy, pod hierarchy. Nice. Little nice. map nice. system. We were going to call it podography, but it sounded too much like pornography. Yeah, that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Pornography. You approve yeah. of our word choice. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> um, where you can actually like go and explore other like DAO implementations. So you could go and see like tribes nope DAO implementation and say mm -hmm. like that's really cool to like mm. you can have this time lock contract around the pods right. and blah 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 blah. You can quite literally like duplicate that and, just and it, plug it yep, right in. Exactly. Cool. Like yep. build a block, 
institution. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I mean, this fits right into the whole idea that crypto just does everything that we've already done before, but faster and yep. better yep. and forkable and replicatable. Yes. All the things that we love. Cool. I know. I'm so excited. This is making me bullish on Dallas. <sighs> I love it. Yes. See ya. I knew I would get you there. <laughs> <laughs> Jules, thanks to you for coming on uh, Layer Zero and pilling me about Orca. Of course. Thanks, David, pod, for having pod me. Pilling? Pod pilling? Pod pilled. Pod pilled. 100%. All right, listener. You just got pod pilled if you listen to this podcast. <laughs>